we are having some phone issues on, uh, you know, I, I guess it's our chat room maybe that's uh, giving us some problems. So if it sounds a little funny or if conversations seem to drop off in the middle of nowhere, just consider this kind of uh, low-budget podcasting the way this was a low-budget movie. So. everyone to another eight round table. This time we'll be discussing the very low budget Creative Commons film called Infest Wisely. With us today I am Lawson Braun and we have Klaatu. Hello everyone. And Deepkeek. Hello everyone. So I assume you guys have seen the movie. Yup. I've seen it. I loved it. Like I loved it. It was, it's one of the best movies I've seen in a while. I thought it was amazing. I mean, it, it, I was aware because they started with that night scene, and it was, you know, you, you knew right, right away you were in low-budget movie land when you had that night <laughs> right. scene, but, the, I, you know, for the creativity behind it, it had that outhouse uh, look, look to it, but the plot was so, you know, interesting, and it actually had so many things going for it. Like, I love the punk rockers squad in the reservoir, you know, trying to yeah. say... Yeah. And uh, the bicycle, the bicycle scene, and the the, the the cats mutating, and that was all far out. It was very imaginative. It made up for any kind of lack of, you know, budget or whatever, with just great, great story. There are um, several sources that say that it costs absolutely nothing to make, and uh, then I read. I believe uh, that the. Uh, uh, IMDb said it cost seven hundred dollars to make, which is actually still close to nothing. How could we? That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's never nothing because there's always expenses. You know, I mean. But class um, two, what 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 is low budget and where is this clicking on that scale? You'd know. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, there is. There's no definition. I mean, if you ask someone over in LA, they'll say, "Oh, low budget." Yeah, like a million dollars, maybe under. That's low budget, you know. Uh, to normal people like us, you know, I mean, it's like whatever you can scrounge together from your day job or or whatever, you know, and just you get the thing made. And and which is interesting, I think that the way that they shot this is, is really, really indicative of the fact that they are a low budget because you notice that they didn't ever have to monopolize any one actor's time all the time, you know, because, I mean... Yeah. Those actors had to go to work. They have their day jobs or whatever they're doing, you know. They can't sit there for a 60-day shoot every day, show up, you know. So they split the workload, which I thought was just... And, and even the directors. I mean, you had seven different directors for each uh, little episodic uh, segment. So that's why so, I did the episodic format, was to make it possible to work around things? I'll, I'll bet you anything it was, yeah. I read an interview that Jim Monroe, the guy who wrote who wrote the film. He wrote all the scripts, all, all seven parts of it. He said he specifically wrote the film with their resources in mind. That it's yeah. He didn't write anything they didn't already have or couldn't get a hold of. Um, oh. And, if, I mean, if that, if that isn't a way to hold costs down, I can't think of one, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, 
that's how independent film may, should be written. You know, I mean, you get you you've got to keep in mind what you what you actually have access to because the minute you throw in, you know, the flying saucer that you don't actually have, then suddenly the the, the complexity of your film production just goes up exponentially. Interesting enough, though, they still had some special effects. Like, they, they, they did some nice things with superimposing to make it look like a hologram presentation at a couple yeah, of points. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, wonder, I, wonder, I, w I don't know how they did that, but I was very happy that they did that. Well, that sort of thing can be farmed out. I mean, there's, I mean, look at what the Blender Project's been able to do with, you know, when, whenever they do any of their movies. You know, I mean, there's tons of people that are donating their time, not just the people that are actually getting paid to make the film. But, I mean, you saw that list of, of uh, people at the end of the movie, how many people donated stuff. I mean, there's, there are a lot of online productions. There's a series of Star Trek fan films that are out there, and the, science, the, um, the special effects for them all are, I mean, they're like Hollywood-grade special effects. I mean, they're amazing, amazing special effects. It was all done for free. It was all done by, you know, uh, special effects geeks, you know, real enthusiasts in their homes who just kind of, I don't know where you find these guys, but they're out there and they have their, their little uh, hangouts. And if you can get in on them and say, look, I'm doing a movie and I need such and such, if you can get people excited about what you're doing, you can get tons of free special effects. And to be honest, I'm glad they didn't go too far down that road for this movie. The fact that it was human-based, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't special effects. I mean, you could go as, as nuts as you want when it comes to nanotech. They could have had you know, melting humans or, or whatever they wanted, you know. And and it probably wouldn't have cost them any more than it did, but I, I, I don't think that would have been in keeping with that real grunge look the rest of the movie had. So, and it, it is amazing, the special effects, um, but maybe we should, we should step back and, and go through the plot for the listeners, because otherwise it's just going to sound like special effects fanboys or something. What do you guys think? <laughs> Actually, why don't we step back and tell them where they can find it, you know, from the very beginning. It's called Infest Wisely, and you can get it in several places. But first, I, I, I myself downloaded it first from archive.org. That's the EP colon slash slash www.archive.org slash details slash Infest Wisely. All one word with the I and the W capitalized for no good reason, I think. But anyway, that will get you to a page where you can download it. You can go directly to the Infest Wisely website, which is infestwisely.com, and you can, there are tons of torrent um, aggregators on there that have it. Because it is a Creative Commons film, it is downloadable for free. You can download it, you can copy it, you can do whatever you want with it, pretty much. It's all legal, so download it and enjoy it. The uh, website itself probably has the best basic description of the plot, where I think it's just, I'm not going to be able to find it in time. Basically, it's uh, the near future, and that's, that they're never specific about when it is in the future, I don't think. I don't think I ever heard anybody say a date uh, in the movie. But it isn't very far at all in the future, it doesn't seem like. A lot of the film just basically centers around consumer-grade nanotechnology that people consume and put in their bodies for various purposes, such as uh, taking photographs with your eyes and uh, curing cancer and all these other things. It seems to have to do with the social aspects of how a technology like this can affect people in the world. 
did I uh, did I capture it? You think, or is there more? No, that's a pretty good, accurate uh, description. I think. Yeah, that's a great thought. But there's 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 there's, there's several interesting twists and turns along the way that we can get into now. I think too. Let's start with the X-rated scene. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I'd love that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it goes right there, doesn't? First off, I don't. It's not X-rated, obviously. It would be, uh, I guess, an R-rated scene would probably be the way to describe it. It's not clear to me why. Spoiler here: Why semen, male semen, is required to uh, grab somebody's DNA? Because what do they do if they're trying to steal identity? Uh, in the future, by the way, for anyone who's wondering why they would need to steal your DNA is, by this time, identity is often linked to your DNA structure as uh, supposedly a way to, I guess initially it would be a way to uh, confirm someone's identity. I mean, if you're, you know, everyone's DNA is unique, then this must be you. But of course, there are always going to be nefarious people that are trying to steal from other people and so there are lots of hacks when it comes to stealing somebody's DNA, and then identity theft clears out your bank account and what have you. Yeah, if I, if I may jump in here, it's really interesting because there's, there's a bar scene in the flick, and of course this is all spoilers. There's a bar scene in the flick, and people pay. They get a, they get a, they get a mouth swab that's mint flavored that they have to lick, and that proves <laughs> enough for a single credit card transaction. But apparently, in order to wipe out a man's bank account, you have to steal his sperm. And yeah. in that same bar scene, there's this scene in the men's room that's really interesting and amusing. And they expressed, what, what, one thing that really set a tone for this movie that I liked was, was the sarcasm, and maybe it's the punk rock influence maybe brings in the, some of the sarcasm. But they call it milking. I just think that's so incredibly sarcastic. I, I get so amused by it. And then the guy comes out, and, and he happens to work in the bank, and he's trying to get his co colleagues to help him. They're, like, sending him emails with, like, you know, pictures of cows going moo and stuff. <laughs> it was hysterical how they did it. And then um, one girl was said, yeah, I'm saving my milk money for a rainy day. And oh, was, they, The things they did with that the idea was just hysterical, I thought. Even my wife cracked up over it. And it seems really realistic. Because people would do that, you know, if you if you had a colleague who, you know, you're on fairly friendly terms with, that was really good because that sets the stage for why the nanotechnology is adopted so readily uh, later in the film. Because somehow, it's, at least initially, it's pitched as a security device that, you know, what what's to encrypt your DNA or something like that prevents people from stealing. But identity theft being completely rampant, people are, are quick to adopt it. And then features are added to this technology as time goes on. Well, yeah, the, the movie's really, really, actually, I mean, of all, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen hacker movies before and yeah. sat there and just laughed at them. This movie actually does, I thought, a really good job of dealing with all the technology on a very realistic kind of level, you know? I don't really know when it was produced or whatever, but and obviously, as time keeps going, it will continue to be more and more dated in terms of what what they're calling you know the future and stuff like that. Yeah. But but overall, I just I felt that they clear someone clearly knew what they were talking about enough enough at least to uh, write a script about a lot of like you know security concerns and new technology versus old technology stuff like that. And I love that that 
that or the, the the hacker that we open up with, the computer programmer, is using like a homemade computer that he keeps in a uh, you know he built out a fiberglass box and keyboard and stuff. And he's using old technology and these old discs that the new people who were searching in his apartment after his death didn't even recognize as media. You know, they didn't even recognize it as a storage media because they because it was so old. They just didn't know yeah. what a floppy disk was. And you know, that's actually an excellent segue, Clark, because this character, the the hacker's name is Digger, and he's, you know, a... It, it's, it's interesting. Even though he's a hacker, there's this, like, Ted Kaczynski-esque, Luddite, anti-technology bent. He doesn't like the modern technology, which is why yeah. he has that old computer, right? But it turns out that he was working... On, on a technology that would inoculate people from the nano, from the nanotechnology threat if it ever got out of hand. And he seemed to imply his genius on many levels. From uh, the viewer's point of view, you just see this guy who's one step away from being Rain Man, and we don't understand necessarily, at least at first, what his issue is. But we find out later, you know, it's, it really, we find out much later in the movie just how brilliant this guy must have been that he could have devised if it would have been some sort of uh, computer code or, or a hack of some kind on the basic structure of, of the nanotechnology. And they, reading between the lines, it seemed like he didn't even design it for that. He designed it as a sort of a generic thing that is so usable that you could apply it to something like this. Technologically great and interesting, but then all of a sudden it's like he disappears and it's like a big conspiracy and it's you know, people are stenciling Digger was pushed. That was something wall. I wanted to bring up. What do you think he was pushed, in your opinion? Yeah, I, yeah think, I think he was pushed. Yeah, I think he was knocked off. He himself didn't even see a threat. I mean, he was afraid of everyone in general, but he didn't see a specific threat of any kind like this. He just thought that they're after him, you know, that sort of thing. But if you ever meet people who are like deep hacker types, or even if, people, if they hack and not non-computer tech, sometimes they can be oblivious to things in their own room while they're going through the gyration. So I really appreciated this because I felt it was like, wow, he was he was so into his computer or so into his photography at night out his apartment, whatever he was doing, that he was oblivious to the guy, the real threat, who was about to take him down. I thought yeah. that was amazing. Yeah, and we never see it. It happens completely off camera. In fact, by the time you find out that he's dead, he's been dead a long time. And yet they open up. The, the, the opening shot of the movie is something falling down from a great height. So, Kletu, yeah. you must be a resident act expert on, the, on where I want to go next, which is the punk rockers. Why would I be the expert? Oh, I, I thought uh, I read something in your Wikipedia article about your punk background. I wish I had a copy of that Wikipedia article. <laughs> I took it down. It said Straight Edge thing was in, in, in related to... Well, yeah. Within punk yeah. rock, and so you are correct. I mean, I did enjoy punk way back in the day when I was when I was a wee lad, but I didn't get into it on any on any heavy level. So sure. So, but this movie features punk rockers. Well, yeah, and I think it has a punk spirit too. I mean, it's it's got a you know the good guys are the rebellion. There's the the mass bicyclists. I know that must have been not mass capacity. What's the other? What's the bicycling group that bicycles around and tries to block traffic? I cannot think of the term. I, I don't know. Yeah. Neither of you guys have heard of this? No. Uh, uh. I thought it was totally invented by the movie. 
no, this is, um, I'm sure that this is a group that they, they probably got, they probably had friends doing this, um, mass, hold on, I have to, I have to find this term now. The film was made in Toronto, is there a group like, are these groups, like groups, like, all over the place, or? Yeah, I mean, it's big in San Francisco, I'm sure, yeah, it's everywhere. So it was big in LA as well, actually. I had a lot of friends who, who rode in it, but they would, they would go on midnight bike rides, at least that's what they did in L.A. I guess in San Francisco they do it during the day. And their, one of their goals, at least among the people I knew, I don't know if it was the official goal of the, the group or, you know, what they would say to this if, if I was advertising them as doing this, but it was to block traffic, block trains, block the bar, you know, stuff like that. Basically yeah. bring the automated uh, traveling system to a halt with their you know, manual traveling system. And they did that quite well. They do it quite well. So, yeah. So, Bill Singer in the punk rock band is actually a lab technician, and she gets this speech from her boss. It's like, good news, you cured cancer, now you're fired. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. She begins singing against uh, the, the, nan the nanite, and she puts masking tape on her mouth because like, she's afraid they'll get in there. And the next thing yeah. you see is, is all these punk rockers dancing tape over their mouth. It's like a spontaneous mass movement. It was so well done the way they did the scene in the, in the movie. I was just so impressed with it. Well, the whole world was just built so skillfully. I mean, just from the terminology like, oh, you got milk and stuff like that, to, yeah, like the spontaneity of, of sort of how this anti-nano technology groups get started and, and stuff like that. I just, it's, it's really cool. The world building is so detailed because even in side comments, I mean, at one point, the teacher's assistant is telling his student, no, you have nanotechnology above your neck, and therefore you're, police, you're cheating, and you're kicked out. And that's, how, that's the policy of the college, and it's just like, even just that detail in that background conversation, I was like, whoa. Critical mass. That's the group, by the way. Critical mass. Okay. I mean, I think it's very true to the, the punk ethos. I mean, the whole film. I mean, it's, it's very, obviously, it's no budget, so that's punk right there. It's raw, it's true to itself, it's rebellious, it's hardcore. It presents it realistically, you know, just people doing what they need to do to to change things. It's really cool. It's not like the sort of Hollywood punk rock, you know. I was really impressed with the writing. I thought the, the script was really well done. Structurally, you know, the, the fact that it was in seven parts, but you have characters carried over from one part to another, so it makes the storyline flow. That, that's kind of a classic way of doing that sort of thing. But it's so rarely done. It was smart. You know, the commentary was just very realistic. I mean, just the way people spoke to each other. It was like regular dialogue, but they were talking about things that don't exist. It was structurally really well done, because it, it goes full circle. We... We start with Digger, and we end with Digger, or his influence, anyway, uh, his legacy. It kind of all centers around, Digger kind of represents, at least to me, the, the concept of someone, you know, basically, to me, he represents the fear of change, and how, in the end, change will come, no matter what, but we don't necessarily have to take it blindly. You know, I like the fact that Digger's magic code, at the end, it, it stated, this is not going to stop nanites. This is not going to, you know, get rid of nanites. It just changes the playing field. It gives them competition. And that, in, in, in and of itself, is 
so realistic. Because how many stories, you know, yeah. at the end of the big chase scene, they, you know, they get there and they press the button and get the code in just at the last time and the world is saved, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That never happens in real life. No, it, it can't happen. I mean, the world's complex. And, in real life, you, you always have this layering effect of, of all the old things build up to, to a new a new thing that goes forward. And so you can abate things, but you can't get rid. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, it's kind of like when publishing happened and, and books were printed and they were like, they didn't know what to do about the, uh, the, the people who wrote the hand copy books. They could never go back. You know, you can never go back in a way. I, you know, one of the things I like is they don't even, the film isn't necessarily anti-nanotechnology either. They don't really take a stand saying this is terrible. I mean, they talk about the amazing things that are, you know, cancer is cured. You know, they cured cancer to these nanites. I mean, no one can argue that that's a bad thing. The movie itself isn't focused on that. It's just focused on the people who are experiencing it. They yeah. seem to give it a lot. It's much more compelling. They're not sermonizing about the future. They're not, you know, they're not trying to sell us for or against this, this, you know, fantasy technology. I mean, who cares? I mean, it, it would be ridiculous to try to be anti-nano, you know, in real life, since it doesn't really exist. At least the way it's portrayed in the movie, it doesn't exist at all. I like the fact that, that you, you just, know of. Well, yeah, if, yeah, it would be great if I had some myself and I was going to live forever, but, you know, I can tell you right now that's not true. The fact is, maybe someday it could happen. That standpoint, you can see this as a cautionary tale. But, I, I and I think it is, but not for nanotechnology. It's a cautionary tale for all new technology. Any, there's something new that changes the world, and things do come along occasionally and do that. You know, the Internet is one of those things. Cell phones, I believe, are one of those things. It just changes the fundamental way the world works. Things happen, but people don't change. And how do we fit ourselves into this new world? I think it speaks of the of the humanness of the situation, because the, they they don't have the foresight to see that they have to protect the they invent the technology, but they don't secure it. You know, it it comes as an afterthought. And so this thing that was just supposed to go in your bloodstream and just cure cancer is now affecting the way your brain works. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's very human. Getting back to the the punk rock thing for a second, I like the fact that we don't just see anti-nano punk. You also have a militant reaction on the other side. People that are very, very pro-nano to the point where maybe they're not thinking with their own mind anymore. The implication being that nanites can take over animals and make them sentient. Perhaps they can do it to humans and change them and change the way they think. You know, and are humans now a vessel for the nanites? They bring that question up, I think. I don't know. I, I thought it was um, it's very well written, very insightful about the human reaction to change, to social change and technological change. And I and I thought it was one of the smartest movies I've ever seen done, you know, uh, focusing on that, you know, as opposed to someone who's just oh, a piece of blossom on the sweeping tides of change. You know, the world is at war, and we just follow this person as they have their various adventures and what have you. This was about real people trying to live this world, not just survive it. 
And well, that's the strength of, of most science, or good science fiction, I think, is that it creates the world so, just as if, who was it that said the best sci-fi shouldn't, shouldn't treat itself as something unique? You know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't say, look, we're in the future, and this, this is so yeah. cool. It should just be a normal story, except it's in the future, and that's what this story was. Although, I can't see this story being told without the science fiction element of the nanite. I mean... Which is cool. I mean, that that means it's, like, real sci-fi. It is. It is. I mean, it the world is so real that it's integral to the, the actual tale that's being told. I mean, look at this film, right? Zero budget. Nothing. Nothing going for it whatsoever. They didn't even get a theatrical release or a DVD release. They had to go and post it on archive.org for crying out loud. And uh-huh. this... I mean, not that that's a bad thing, but just go with me on this. And it's yeah. an incredible story. It's got, like, such originality. Compare that to something like Avatar, $500 billion. And all they could do was retell Dances with Wolves, except in 3D. Incredible contrast. It's like good sci-fi versus Hollywood trash. You know, it's incredible. Well, let me ask you this, though. What do people want out of their science fiction? Seriously. I mean, we're in agreement what we like about science fiction. What people want. They want spectacular. They want... Face. They want things they don't, you know, they don't want to think, they want to see, you know, they entertainment, mindless. That's why we don't say sci-fi anymore it, uh, among the elitists, uh, you know, like us, we say speculative fiction. Ooh. Yes, yes. You can say SF, that's so stuff. I think that you're right, but, you know, this didn't get a wide release. You know what, she had one, one of their uh, their world premiere was at uh, Defcon 15 in Los Wow. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, it's perfect you know, the perfect forum for it. So they clearly did know something about computers then. Oh, I, I, I'm pretty certain. Jim Monroe, though, is also a science fiction author um, as well. And, you know, novels. So I haven't read any of them, but it has at least three or four to his name. Um, cool. All released under Creative Commons, apparently. So, I'll be checking. so he gets the whole technology thing, and he also gets the Creative Commons and, and the free exchange of ideas. And I think everybody who worked on this, this film definitely did. So it looks like we're giving it three thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll give it two thumbs film. up and, and, a, and a nano thumb up as well. And a, but is that really your thumb that's going up, or the nanites just making you say that? Of course, I can't really ask that question because there's tape on my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one last question. Talking cats, are they cute, funny, or painful to watch? Funny? Yeah. I was of two minds about the talking cat. Because I looked at it and I said, oh, okay, here's our talking cat. And it's great. You know, it's kind of a little cheesy, the concept of it. But the rationale behind it was really, really sound and really cool within the internal logic of, of uh, you know, the movie. Say, you know, if these things can settle into the brain stem of an animal, a living creature, and they are networked and can actually speak over Wi-Fi, and you have them too in your own body, why couldn't they do this? You know, it's, it would be very interesting. And I, so I watched it. I said, you know, I could do a little. You know, I'm not sure the, the you know, English accent worked for me, but you know, it is such a minor nitpick. It's like I may as well shut up now. So. It's like, um, I think once you watch it that much, you're at the point where you realize on the special effects, you might have
I'm, I'm personally, I mean, I, I don't love special effects. I'm not like, I'm not a, usually if I see a special effect, I'm, I, I have an adverse uh, reaction to it. So the fact that this did not have fancy special effects was a really, really a bonus point for me. But I think that, you know, I mean, if they, if they tried to, tried to get special effects for this thing, I think it would have ended up just looking like they were trying too hard or something. You know, it would have taken away maybe from the from the, the grittiness of it or something. So I, I didn't miss any kind of lack of, 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 I don't know, a cat that was CGI or anything like that. Yeah, I, 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 I think they hit like a, a good happy medium right on the head when they, 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 they just had just enough. They had like a superimposed here, you know, a, a, yeah. a shot of imaginary nanites in the microscope there. And but it, it, they never try to overwhelm you. It, it certainly wasn't something that was like, "Ooh, this film was shot entirely in blue matte," you know, and everything else was superimposed. It certainly wasn't yeah. that. I don't think. I mean, honestly, I do not see how anyone could have done this film better. You know, I mean, this story was was is a great story. I think producing it in any other way would really start to take away from the story, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So I was I was really glad that it, it was a no budget film. I thought it was very appropriate. I'm glad it was no budget. I'm glad everybody in the film was an unknown, at least me, because it didn't distract me. I didn't look and see, oh, it's George, you know, Clooney playing Digger, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man, he would have been a disastrous Digger. Yeah, Jack Black getting milk or something. You know, I mean, <laughs> you don't have that. You know, these are people you don't know, and you know can go with that, you know? And they weren't pretty. There wasn't anybody good-looking <laughs> inside the movie. And somehow <laughs> that adds to it. You know the fact? Yeah, because they're real people. That's what we they're look like. That's, that's, well, actually, I had one quick question for Lost in Bronx. So how did, how, how did you say you found this film? Like, what, you just stumbled I, across it on yeah, archive or exactly, what? But I, I believe I saw someone reference it offhand on Wimbling. I think it was about three years ago, two years ago, maybe. And I didn't find it right away. I, I, I actually, I didn't go look for it right away. I must have saved the link, and then I was going through my bookmark sometime later, and I said, oh, yeah, 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 let me go take a look at this. And, you know, I downloaded it and watched it late one night, and I was blown away. I was like, why haven't I heard more about this? Why aren't people making a bigger deal out of this? It was, um, it was really quite a thing. So, you know, I, I kept it in mind, and I actually, I had made a copy of it, and I looked around, and I couldn't find it anywhere, so I actually had to download it again to do this review. You know, I wanted to see it, you know, again, because uh, there was a lot of stuff I didn't remember, and I'm glad I saw it again. Um, but this time I take the copy, so I know where that is, and I'll be able to watch it whenever I want to. Well, I guess that's it for us, right? It's the, highly uh, recommended, though. If, if that didn't come across, people <laughs> listening to this should go see the film. It's highly, highly recommended. Yeah, it but really is worthwhile. The of it. They don't have to go see it. Oh, correct. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.